Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast. My name is Gwen Reyes. And I'm Danielle Dresser. This is a podcast where we talk about what we're reading, watching, and listening to. We also dig into publishing industry news and stories that you might have missed. Today, we have an extra special bonus episode in honor of our favorite women in our lives, our moms, with an interview featuring Ashley Audrain, the author of The Push. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite moms in pop culture and have a chat about what media we've been consuming lately. Ooh, all right. Let's get started, Danielle. How are you feeling this week? Mother's Day is just around the corner. I know. It's kind of weird. (laughs) Because I think about, I think I think about last year in this wild time um, (laughs) that like, you know, we celebrated Mother's Day by literally like sitting in our garages. Like we went to my parents' house to see them, but it was like, we were like, can we breathe near other people? And the answer was no. Um, We were masked and then we were just like in their garage. And then we, then we drove up an hour up North to go see my in-laws and did the same thing up there. And it was not very nice. It was actually cold in May because this is Illinois. Um, (laughs) (laughs) By the time it's mother's day, I'll be half vaccinated. Um, You know, but all of our parents will be vaccinated. Mm -hmm. My husband is fully vaccinated. So I think mother's day this year is going to be a totally different vibe, which will be really nice. That is really, yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I am. I'm sad that I won't be able to celebrate mother's day in person with my mom this year, yeah. but, um, I think that we will be, cause the same thing last year, we didn't get to do any major holidays except mm-hmm. for, I think the first one we finally got to do was Thanksgiving when we mm-hmm. did something in person with everybody. I'm just thinking about nice ways to make it special for my mom because of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But otherwise, I think good. I'm happy to be settled. This is weird to talk about <laughs> that. I'm like pretending no. to be settled in Seattle. I'm like, I'm very happy settled in Seattle right now. And I'm like, it's it's not. I'm not there yet. Spoiler alert. I'm still in Texas. Yeah. It's like from the future. From future, the future. Future, yeah, future me. How are you doing? <laughs> doing great. Uh, but yeah, no, otherwise, it's been a pretty good week. Just spending time with my family, which has been nice. And one good thing you've achieved this week. Yeah, you know, I'm like trying to think. What have I done? You know what I've been doing more? Cause, okay. So you all have been on this journey with me through finding a creative endeavor that isn't writing. And so I've started painting. I started doing watercolor painting. I've been painting like cards. Like I found cards online that are out made out of watercolor paper. So I can just like paint on them. So I don't, I don't know. I may not buy cards again. I may just start painting all my cards. We'll see. I love that. It's been fun. And so I think I've mentioned, I don't know if I've mentioned this yet. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Um, but every weekend, one day, my daughter and I paint for like a couple of hours, like she paints whatever she wants. And then I'm like working on these cards or I go through, I find like a YouTube tutorial. But one of my big things that I've been trying to do more is to not rely on a tutorial to tell me what to do. I'm trying to just paint. It's slow going, but I've finally started doing it more. So I think, and yeah, and like over the weekend, I painted some lemons because why not? And yeah, and and I did it by myself. So it was kind of nice. That is a huge achievement. I would be so nervous. I'm not like artsy in that way. I would just be like a stick figure. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. You know, a lot of people have been talking, you know, I've been sending out cards and people are like, whoa, you made this. And I'm just like, yeah. And people are like, watercolor so hard. And I was like, I don't, I don't find it to be that hard. So maybe I missed my true calling. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely been fun. It's definitely like going to be a hobby. You know, my mom, which is hilarious. Cause we're going to talk about our moms in a minute, but my mom is like, you should sell these on Etsy. And I was like, I need this to not be monetized. Yeah. I, <laughs> I was going to say that's the very mom. Our moms are both that way. I think yeah. that it's like, if you have a hobby, if you have something you love, monetize it, figure out how to make money off of it. And it's like, but I just want something for me. Right. Exactly. So I think I'm just going to keep it for me, I don't plan on opening an Etsy store and you know, in a year it'll be a different story. So I'm already, my brain's already going of like, Oh, what can we do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is something that you've achieved this week? We yeah. were um, successful at uh, only having to do one showing of our house and oh. them liking it. So that was good. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that that's probably the achievement of just like getting everything done, still feeling like even though we only have 17 days until we move, everything's okay. Like I feel right. like at this point, my house is three days away from being done. 
Wow. Like if my pods came tomorrow, I could pack them up and have it ready to go. Like it's awesome. I feel like that's a good achievement. Oh yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I've been telling you this entire process, moving is so stressful. Um, and it, in a way it's like, why is it so stressful? But it really, it just is, you know, it's like, you know, you know what the end goal is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and you know what you have to do, but I think it's just like the process of putting everything you own, like looking at every single thing is very overwhelming. Very overwhelming. It just, yeah. It makes you just ask. Yeah. You have a lot of questions. Like I have a lot of questions whenever I open something, I'm like, do I want this? Where did it come from? What is it? You know, like just very, I just want to throw everything in a box and run away. Yep. Exactly. I think that that's the way to do it. (laughs) We've teased this a bit, but this is our special Mother's Day episode. We had the opportunity to talk to the lovely author, Ashley Audrain, about her book, The Push, which is really, it's about motherhood and marriage and a lot of things. And that got us thinking, we were like, what could we talk about to go along with this book? We decided to talk about moms, even yeah. though this is a psych- like a psychological domestic thriller about motherhood and everything that comes along with it. Um, so yeah, so we thought we would start off by talking about our moms mm-hmm. and then about some of our favorite moms in pop culture. So Gwen, you have a really interesting relationship with your mom because you also work with her. Yeah. So yeah, like you, I, I've, uh, I've known her for 38 years <laughs> personally. Um, so my mom is a very ambitious, opinionated woman. Mm-hmm. And that is two things that I love about her and probably the qualities that I wish I had more of because her ambition is incredibly inspiring and her opinions are not to be taken lightly. We did not have a great relationship probably until I was about 12. And at that, that time she had taken a year off of work and like we were spending time together. So she was, I was in volleyball. So she would come be my, my coach or not my coach, my sports mom before that she had never done any of that stuff. And so we just built this really close relationship because we would have to drive, like just sitting in a car with each other and talking. And like, I just remember these, this going from being like, this is a person I didn't get along with. I was like my daddy's girl to this is my person. Mm-hmm. And like recognizing that my mom was my person was really like, oh, I'm getting emotional to think about it. It's like, it was a really cool feeling. And then when I went to school and came back and she was like, I want to work with you. I couldn't think of a person I would want to work with more than I wanted to learn from her. Cause I, I just, I, she has this energy. My mom, Sarah has this energy of someone who is very worldly and like knows everything and sort of projects that energy out all the time. So like, I was like obsessed with that and wanted mm-hmm. to absorb that and learn everything I could from her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's a, but she's also sort of, she's very girly. Like she loves to get her hair <laughs> nails done every week. Um, she, which is very funny to me because like, she's not from Texas, but she has like big Texas energy. <laughs> like, she grew up, she was, she grew up in uh, Amish, Amish country, Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and now lives in Dallas and is like big hair, always has red nails, always has makeup on. Yeah. And I'm like the complete opposite. Like I get dressed <laughs> up, I, I will do it, but like. Yeah. He is like, you have to put lipstick on if you are going on camera. And I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> fun. And she likes, you know, we like the same kind of movie. Well, we actually don't really like the same kind of movies, but, uh, and that's the other thing. It's like a lot of our interests, we love movies, reading, well, she, you know, reading, listening mm-hmm. stuff, but it's so different, but we still can get together and talk about oh, yeah. that and enjoy it, which is cool. Yeah, that's really great. I love that so much. I mean, I know your mom. I think she's awesome. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, we've talked previously about being the daughters of accomplished women. And yeah. your mom is like, like she has to have a three-page resume, I'm sure. She does. I've seen her resume. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, my mom's the best. She's great. Uh, um, but she, it, yeah, she, I mean, she has, a PhD. So she is Dr. Jackson. And, um, she also, she has like two masters. She has like a second bachelor, you know, she has like everything, yeah. but it was all these things. She was a nurse or she, yeah. Cause she, she's at, well, let's see. 
when this goes up, she will be a month away from retiring, which is very exciting. She's, she's very excited. Although my, my dad and I are like, what, what is she going to do? I was just wondering, I was like, how long is she going to be retired? (laughs) Who knows? We have no idea. Um, but you know, I should say like, you know, like those two master's degrees that PhD, she got all of those, like once she had kids, like once she had me and my brother. And then I think maybe, may even kind of go along with a little bit of what we were talking about where what we've, we've talked about with Ashley was like, you know, once you make these life decisions, then what do you do? And she was like, I'm going to go back to school. And And that became like her thing. You know, I think she waited for, for my brother and I to get older a little bit, but then, you know, we knew that like one night a week she was going to school and then like on the weekend she had to do her work, you know, but I mean, she was still there no matter what sports we were in. I mean, I, I played soccer. My brother was, I think we've talked about this on our siblings episode. My brother was in every sport (laughs) and she, but she was there no matter what, you know, for whatever we had, you know, if I had a piano recital or if he had hockey practice or any of that, she was always there, but she always also made time for herself, Mm -hmm. which I think was something like, and now that I'm older and now that I'm a mother as well, like, it's like one of those things where you have to, you really have to actively find that time. So I don't even know if my mom and I have actually had that conversation directly, but it's like definitely something I saw and I knew that I needed to do. But I mean, on top of that, she is, she's the nicest person growing up. We were one of, you know, like we were, you know, you had like your friend's house where you just, you just went to their house. Like we yeah. were that house for a long time, you know, like everyone would just come over my parents would feed you. There were always snacks. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's just how it was. And, you know, and we talked about in our, like our very first episode about how our mothers were both big readers. That's why we're big readers. And that's why, like, I think we both stole our mom's romance novels, yep. um, you know, and all of that. But yeah, I don't know. I think, I think I have like a really cool mom. She's probably gonna listen to this and be like, you're just saying that because you're on a podcast, but no, I mean it. Like, and I, and I think, I think we can both say that. Like, I think we both have really cool, interesting moms who are, un, you know, who have shown us both unwavering support. And I think that that's really, I think, I think it shows because we get to do things like make a podcast <laughs> because we feel like it. And I think, our moms are probably a big part of that in some, you know, psychological way. <laughs> yeah. My mom was just com- complimenting um, us this morning and saying how oh. she enjoys our banter on the show right now. She's like, I just really love listening to you too. It's like having That's friends. So cute. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, it's kind of silly, but yeah. I wanted to tell this really funny story because okay. it is a little romance adjacent for my mom, but also I love it of like you having the house that all your friends wanted to come and hang out at and like your you know your good parents that they wanted to spend time with my mom was also the cool mom for carpooling Mm. would come and pick us up and it would be like my two other friends and she did this like some RWA chapter Mm -hmm. uh, session thing where she bought the tapes and it was Linda Howard teaching how to write a perfect sex scene. Oh my gosh. And this was like 12 tapes long. (laughs) And so on the, uh, on like our carpooling, my mom would listen to this, like how to write sex tapes uh, video or tape thing yeah. as we were, how to write sex scenes as we were going to like volleyball practice. So <laughs> my friends were always like, oh, I want to hear more about this sex stuff. So I was that kid that knew all the sex things because yeah. I love that story so much of just like, yeah, my mom just doesn't care. She's like, you're in my car. So you're gonna listen to what I have on the radio. That is hilarious <laughs> and very on brand for your mom. Yes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we've talked about our moms. Let's talk about some of our favorite moms in pop culture. I put, I'm looking at the outline. I put TV moms, but it could be TV or movies, whatever. So who are some of your iconic mothers from TV? So I, cause I knew that we, your list is so really well-rounded. So I was like, <laughs> throw in some iconic moms in here. Um, yeah. My two that I popped up with instantly um, will be are Lorelai Gilmore from Gilmore mm-hmm. Girls. Um, and I guess, and then by extension, Emily Gilmore in a way, because yeah. again, as a show about motherhood and the roles of how your how you inherit your own mother's traumas. I think that Lorelai Gilmore is a, is a really interesting, and she's also very flawed, which I think is fun yeah. about 
she's not perfect, but she tries really hard and she is problematic, but she also like takes ownership of her stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's something that she is constantly coming up against with Emily, her own mom, who like is completely oblivious to the things that she does or says and how it can affect her own child and kind of doesn't take responsibility of like why Lorelai was in the situation where she was at 16. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love I really I love them and I love in the later even the movies are not great I've I loved that they were able to kind of Emily and Lorelai were able to sort of come to a better place by the end of that of the end of that yeah. series. Uh, and then my other iconic mom is Lucille Bluth the played by the um recently passed Jessica Walters yeah um I just think she's so funny I wouldn't say my mom's like this but my mom has a little bit of Lucille Bluth energy <laughs> And so I, I love like, I love a snarky sort of, again, opinionated woman mm-hmm. and Lucille Bluth just hits all the, 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 uh, the boxes for me. I mean, just I- iconic is the yeah. word. <laughs> Lucille Bluth. You know, this is interesting because later I want to talk about terrible moms, bad moms, yes. but I feel like Lorelai and Lucille could kind of be considered not great moms. Oh yeah, they're terrible moms. I'm 100%. And that's like, I think it was also interesting. I was like, I can't come up with a good TV mom because the ones that stick yeah. out of my head are like evil TV moms. <laughs> yeah. Or even movie moms. It's unfortunate the show that she was on, but I think Claire Huxtable from the Cosby show yeah, is probably that. the best TV mom. She was just so awesome. I think she was like a little bit, she was like maybe a little bit before like the women can have it all, you know, like mm-hmm. that very big push about that. But I mean, you know, she was a successful lawyer. She had these amazing kids. She like, she just, she had a lot going for her. Yeah. Okay. So some of my favorite moms, I just really thought I was just like, who are the moms that like, you just think about a ton of. So I think my number one is Molly Weasley from the Harry yeah. Potter series. Cause she was such an amazing mom to all of her kids, but then she really takes in Harry and Hermione and she, she is, she's really just wonderful, you know, and like, she gets to be like a badass mom in the very last book and in the last movie, like, it's just so great. Um, I think we've said this before, like, yeah, exactly. We've said this before, like we a hundred percent do not support JK Rowling whatsoever, but I mean, I don't know. I think Harry Potter was just like such a big reading part a part of my reading life that I can't like let it go and eliminate Um, the lessons that Harry Potter gives us even if the author is problematic yes exactly problematic faves I think we have to own up to them so my next pick though this is definitely more recent but it's Rainbow Johnson from Blackish yeah and I mean I think a lot of that has to do with Tracy Ellis Ross and how she can do no wrong Mm -hmm. um but she I mean you know and I think this goes back to like thinking about my mom like Rainbow has she does anything and everything for her kids, but she's also this successful doctor. She also like does what she wants to do. She can still make fun of them. And, but she, and you know, but her kids like, know they can go to her. And I think that that's really important. I think a wild card I have is Morticia Adams. Um, (laughs) And, uh, and you know, I, I think, I think of Angelica Houston from the movies, from the Adams family movies. Mm -hmm. But again, it's one of those things like she, she has like her own deal, but she's always there for her kids. And I think, you know, when I think when you yeah. we talk about motherhood, it's like, yes, please have your own thing. But also these kids know like, okay, she's going to stop dancing the tango with Gomez to help me do what I need to get done, you know? And I think that that, that is so important too. Because she shows you a healthy, even though again, <laughs> they're, they're, Goffy, she shows yeah. you a healthy marriage too. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I felt like, especially for the Adams family films were so formative for you and me, I think mm-hmm. they were like oh, yeah. your kiddos, like seeing that was so cool. Cause mm-hmm. like my parents are very, they're not very touchy feely PDA. And so having yeah. sort of that example there, I was like, Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also she's just, she's the coolest. I mean, yeah. Um, and then I can't go one episode without <laughs> talking about Little Women. <laughs> like we're sponsored by Little Women. I think so. Hot energy over here. <laughs> <laughs> but Marmy from Little Women, like she, she was so great. And again, you know, it's kind of almost like Molly Weasley. Like she took in Lori, basically, yeah. you know, he didn't, you know, his mother passed away and, 
and he just gets in like enveloped in this family um and they don't even really give him a choice they're just like okay you're you're one of us now mm-hmm. um but you know i mean this is totally different you know her husband was away at war she was trying to serve her country on her own way in her own way um and and has to make the most of very limited resources and and on top of that she has four daughters that at some point need to get married Mm -hmm. um exactly you know so I think I think yeah she's a really good she's like almost like she she's also I think iconic but she's almost like too good (laughs) like Marmee's almost too perfect yes yep (laughs) um so yeah essential mom like when I think of mom it's very marmy exactly yeah Yeah. so yeah so now I thought it would be really funny (laughs) and probably a little uncouth (laughs) to talk about terrible mothers of which we could like I said we could talk about your two moms a bit I mean I think Lorelai especially Mm -hmm. gets kind of so wrapped up in her ongoing love sagas yes. that were completely unnecessary because it was clear from episode one she was supposed to be with Luke um <laughs> it's like why go through all those other dudes but uh but yeah you know I mean I think and I think it shows in Rory I think some of Rory's decisions especially later season Rory which obviously has something to do with who was writing at that point on the show but she you know, she makes some bad decisions too. And I think that goes back. And her mom was kind of, if you think about it, like, especially in college, she was just kind of like, yeah, go to college, have fun, Mm -hmm. you know? So really, yeah. Didn't really care what she did or, you know, she was happy having a smart kid. And I think that's the thing about Lorelai is that she is innately selfish. Mm -hmm. Even though she does give back to her community and is available. She really, it's about, it's Lorelai's world and everybody needs to get out of the way. And I think that also, that blanket also sort of surrounds Rory as well. Yeah. Um, So I had a few (laughs) and they're doozies. I love them. Um, (laughs) My first one is Lily Vanderwoodson from Gossip Girl. So- I did a Gossip Girl research or rewatch maybe like two years or maybe three years ago. And the whole time, you know, it's like, obviously these teenagers with too much money mm-hmm. are going to make some mistakes, but like Lily, I, I was like, the parents are almost worse than the kids to me because, and Lily was so meddlesome, particularly in her daughter, Serena's life. Like there were I can't even think of a specific, I can't point to any one specific thing because if you think about the plots of those show, they almost all go back to Lily trying to stop Serena from sabotaging herself. But then it was really like, but then it was all Lily's fault. (laughs) And it was just like, leave your kid alone, you know, (laughs) just like let her go make mistakes in Paris or wherever. Um, Another bad mom I thought about was Ellis Gray on Grey's Anatomy. Now I feel like in the later seasons she doesn't come up as much, but in the early seasons, even with early onset Alzheimer's, she was so she was like looming over Meredith Gray for so long. And I think this is a case too where there's an ambitious mother. Mm-hmm but it goes wrong. It's not yes. inspirational. Like Meredith the whole time is like I need to prove I'm better than my mom, or at least I can live up to her, her expectations and what she's already done. Um, yeah. So that was real, that, that's interesting. And then I just, I have to give like a special shout out, (laughs) not just to the moms, but to every parent on Riverdale. Mm -hmm. They're all terrible. They're all, even Molly Ringwald, Molly Ringwald is probably the best one, but they're all horrible. And it's just like, why do you care about these children so much? Like Get out of their lives. <laughs> again, leave them alone a little bit. <laughs> Up next is our interview with Ashley Audrain. Our guest today is Ashley Audrain. Ashley previously worked as the publicity director of Penguin Books Canada. Prior to Penguin, she worked in public relations. She lives in Toronto, where she and her partner are raising their two young children. Welcome to the Fresh Fiction Podcast, Ashley. We're so happy to have you here. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to talk to you guys today. Thanks. Yeah, we're so thrilled. Well, let's jump right in. This is our very special Mother's Day um, themed episode. So our first question, of course, we have to jump right into motherhood. It can be all consuming, especially early on. What do you think or hope readers will take away from this book if they're mothers or aren't mothers? You know, it's certainly a book about motherhood, but I I think it's a story um, that sheds light on 
the kind of experience that falls outside of the norms in, of motherhood. You know, it's, it's, this book really takes a look at what happens when those expectations of motherhood, you know, that we are taught from society um, doesn't apply, you know, is not one woman's experience at all. And so I really wanted to show like that really real, honest, you know, raw, darker side of motherhood, you know, the kind that the side that we are, you know, never really invited to talk about or explore. Mm -hmm. Um, To me, fiction was the place to explore that and where I wanted to explore that. So I hope that, you know, whether readers are, you know, women or not, or mothers or not, um, you know, I hope it just uh, really makes people consider um, about what it can really be like, and maybe start a conversation with, you know, the women or the mothers in their lives that they might not have before about motherhood. Yeah, you know, that's so interesting that you said you thought fiction was Mm -hmm. the perfect Mm -hmm. place, because I mean, I feel like there are book after it's like book after book after book about how to be a better, not just a mother, but like a better parent or, Or, you know, I mean, I think you hear the phrase, like, it's always the mother, like, you know, mm-hmm. and they always like place the blame for certain things happening in people's lives about that. So yeah, so that's really interesting. Did you, like, wh- what was your research like for this book to kind of get yeah. into that side of it? Yeah. You know, I didn't, <laughs> didn't really do any research per se, I would say. <laughs> um, I would say it's funny because I, I think, um, I don't know that I really understand well I guess a couple things one I don't know that I really understood the value of like researching Mm. like before you start to write because it was my debut (laughs) and I just sort of sat down and did it and I didn't really like put much thought into into you know making sure that you know things were reflected in a certain way or accurate in a certain way or whatever Mm -hmm. now that I'm writing my second book I feel like I'm more research-minded kind of going into it which has been different and helpful but I would say in terms of read like in terms of like you know books about motherhood like that I guess indirectly, I sort of always been researching in a way because (laughs) I really have always been super interested in motherhood. Like I, from a very young age, I remember having like a bit of an obsession with motherhood and not from a perspective of wanting to be a mother. Like I really did not think that I wanted to be a mom for a very long time and did not just didn't think my life was going to go in that direction. I just wasn't interested in that. Mm -hmm. But I remember, but I think my obsession or my interest always came from like, just wondering like why do women do it like what how do you know like how do women make the decision to become mothers like what goes into that decision how does that feel how does it change you how does it change your identity and also what happens if you regret it like what happens if you make that decision and you wish you didn't because for sure that is an experience that women have that like we can't we don't feel welcome to talk about (laughs) or that you know people don't feel like they want to admit but regret I think is a is certainly a part of, you know, motherhood for some women. And so I think, you know, I I have a mom who is very quintessential, wonderful mother, like warm and present and nurturing and loved motherhood. And I was always very aware of that, but I always felt like that was not me. You know, I always felt like, I I think, especially in my twenties, kind of looking at her and being like, I don't have that thing that she has. Yeah. And so I think that kind of made me almost more interested in it. Like, why don't I like kids. Why don't I want to, why do I hate babysitting? Why don't I want to like, you know, all of these things that you sort of are supposed to enjoy as like a young woman, you're sort of told you should enjoy that kind of thing. Um, And so I've always, yeah. So I always like read books about motherhood and just was really curious about it. So I guess in a way I'd sort of been researching for a long time to write this book. Yeah. (laughs) So throughout the push, I think as much as this book is about motherhood, it's also looking at Blythe's marriage to Fox. Her husband was really the one who wanted to start a family. And then, you know, of course, when they do have Violet, their daughter, it's nothing like Blythe <laughs> thought it would be. What I'm getting at is that like her relationship with her husband goes through so many changes and some of them are monumental. So I was wondering if you had kind of a plan or like what you wanted to set out to explore about marriage and parenting when those two things collide. <laughs> yes, no, that's a great question. And like a really good observation about the book, because I think I, I always really saw it as being like, certainly a book about motherhood, but it is very much a book about marriage, for right. sure. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, I think when I first sat down to write the push, or what became the push, it was not the push then. <laughs> it went through a lot of different changes. But, yeah. um, but, you know, I really wanted to write about, you know, this woman, Blythe, and her journey through a motherhood, you know, that was challenging and different and dark, but it was always within the context of 
her relationship. You know, it was always very tightly within the context of that marriage. And I wanted the reader to feel like very intimate in their relationship. Like they had this intimate view into who they are as a couple. And I, you know, it wasn't a conscious decision to write it in this sort of second person hybrid voice that, that it's in, it sort of just happened. And then I realized after, you know, that I, I think that that voice kind of came from wanting that, from wanting to feel as as interior as we could in this relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, for people who haven't read the book, you know, Blythe addresses the uh, the whole thing is addressed to her husband, who's yeah. named Fox. And so, we, as the reader, we are reading. You know, we, it's almost like we are being spoken to because there is a lot of you, you know, reference to mm-hmm. you, meaning her husband. Yeah. And so, it's a it's a bit different, and you kind of have to kind of sink into that sort of perspective a little. You know, marriage and parenthood um, is so interesting to me because, you know, and I'm talking about you know obviously a very like typical traditional relationship here, mm-hmm. but um, but the idea that you know you can be in this marriage and decide to have, you know, that presumably works well, you know, that you are in love, and you're happy, and you can decide, you know, to have children. And, and you know, in some way, and it is, it is true that you are changed, like, profoundly by being a parent, right? And I, I can only obviously speak as being a mother, but like, I think fathers go through a lot of change, too. But mm-hmm. as a mother, like, you are so changed, you come out on the other side of that as a different person you know, once that baby's there, and in your partner can too, and yet you are expected to go through this change, and then come back together, and right. be in the same relationship, <laughs> yeah. but like, you're, of course, your relationship's going to change, you are, you are sort of two different people, you know, coming mm-hmm. back into that scenario, um, but I, so I think that it, it almost is kind of strange to me how much we sort of expect marriage to march on, you know, the fit the same way it did under the weight of parenthood, because parenthood does feel like a weight I think for many couples um so that that dynamic just really interested me and that's kind of why I wanted to write about it um just you know the different ways they viewed their daughter the different ways they viewed each other the Mm -hmm. expectations they had of each other in their very you know in their two different gender roles you know what she expected from him as a father what he expected of her as a mother and a woman um, those are just all things that I wanted to explore with the relationship. And another relationship that's um, mentioned in the book is Blythe's with her own, her tragic relationship with her own mother. Can you talk a little bit about how these relationships formed for you as you were writing the book? They really did form along the way. Like they, yeah. they um, when I first sat down to write, I had, I wasn't even thinking at all about her mother or, or the intergenerational aspect of the book that, that um, is now kind of key to the book now, but yeah. At the beginning, I, I didn't like I didn't even think about that. I, you know, I was writing for quite a while, trying to understand Blythe and, you know, writing through her life. And I really realized like I could not understand her unless I had really understood who her mother was. And I think that's kind of true to our lives, right? Like like so much right, of yeah. how we consider ourselves is in the context of who our mothers are. If we're, right. you know, if we yeah, have our mothers in our life, we know us, them. Yeah or the people that raised us. Exactly. And so I I wanted, I, yeah, I just sort of realized that to really understand her, I needed to know that. And so that's where the character of Cecilia was born, who was Mm -hmm. wife's mother. And then sort of the same thing happened again. You know, as I was writing about (laughs) Cecilia, I was like, well, who did Cecilia come from? And who is her mother? And how does it look to kind of, you know, pass along the way we learn to mother? How does it look to like inherit you know, that maternal past and Mm -hmm. how are we scarred by that or how are we improved by that in a mm-hmm. way? Like how, you know, I, I feel like that now, like parenting my kids, like I see so much of how I treat my children and how my mother treated me, you know, and I'm fortunate that that's a good thing right. <laughs> but for a lot, you know, a lot of people that isn't. And so, yeah, that, that was sort of where that came from. And then I spent a lot of time um, trying to figure out how to like, this is more like the craft of, but like, how do you effectively you know, show that in fiction, like, you know, there's, at first, it sort of lived as just this backstory that Blythe thought about a lot, but it didn't quite work because of the narrative, like the way the narrative Mm -hmm. voice was. And so I kind of played with how do we show Cecilia? How do we show Etta, the grandmother? Mm -hmm. Um, And I worked a lot with the editors on that um, when I was kind of going through the final revisions of the book and, Mm -hmm. and then eventually landed on the style that it is now, which is read sort of like this dark fairy tale, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of throughout the book and this different voice. 
Yeah, so I was happy with how it how it ended up, but it it is a, a, a I think a huge part of understanding Blay. Yeah. Well, and I imagine Cecilia is probably like nothing like your own mother, as you said. You're, yeah. You have a, a very loving, sweet mom <laughs> that was there for you. Um, I just find that so interesting that you were able to craft a character. Like, how did she like come to you that way? Because you your your first example would have mm-hmm. been your sweet mom, and not this sort of like you you weren't working through trauma by putting it on the paper that way. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of I think a lot of the book like her story and Blythe's story too is like rooted in like I think two things. Like one is just trying to have empathy for what that situation would be like. But but I think a lot of it is is fear-based. <laughs> you know, it's like thinking about like what are the things that I fear? Like wh- I'm very interested in writing through fear, like writing through the things that scare me or the things, the, the worst case scenarios, like trying, like thinking about what that would be like and like putting myself in those shoes and trying to own those emotions and own that experience. Like, I guess that's kind of what writers do all the time. But I think I, my mind always goes to the darker, <laughs> to the darker place <laughs> and the darker side of it. And, you know, I really think like, you know, fear is such a part of motherhood. Like it really is. And it, it it's uncomfortable to think of motherhood in that way, but to me, it's as, you know, inextricable from motherhood as love is mm-hmm. at times, you know, it's, it's this ever present thing as a parent where you fear for the safety of your children, you fear for how you're impacting them, you know, you fear for, you know, you, you, there's always this kind of cycle running in the back of your mind that's thinking like, well, what can go wrong here? You know, yeah. it's almost like this instinct that you have as a parent. I think that's kind of where a lot of the darker places in both, you know, Cecilia's story um, and Blythe's story come from is just me exploring fear, yeah. <laughs> which I'm sure, you know, a psychologist would have something to say about. <laughs> well, do you think that uh, maternal instincts can be inherited or learned? I think that's a question that the book really is exploring. And I don't know that I know the answer. I don't know how much of it is just in us. Like, I mean, there, there's certain maternal instinct just, you know, as a part of the human experience is obviously something. I mean, we see it in animals too. We see it, you know, that, that everywhere, like that is something, but I, but it is certainly like for sure easier to access in some people than others. And I think for some people it maybe isn't there. And I think, you know, there are all, it's like, it's like this whole debate of kind of nature versus nurture. It's kind of the same thing, right? Like how much of, how much are we influenced by our environment, by the way people treat us, you know, by the experiences we have versus what is just there. I mean, it's funny because I was saying to you before, like, you know, I have this very maternal nurturing mother and, Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I didn't feel like, I I mean, I feel like that now with my kids that they're here, but I didn't feel like that, like walking Mm -hmm. through the world until I had them here in my hands, you know, and then it kind of kicked in. So, I mean, that's something, but also I I have a three-year-old daughter and I see, and I mean, all she wants to do is play mummy and baby. All she wants to do is like role play all of this, like maternal, like the feeding and the cuddling and the changing. It, it's like, she oozes it. And yeah. I, and I, I like definitely never had, like my mom was like, you never did that. You never, you didn't, that wasn't <laughs> you. Right. And so it's funny that some of us just do seem to really yeah. go that direction. And some of us don't. So I don't know. It's very interesting. It's an interesting yeah. thing to consider. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I think I think about that all the time. I have a six-year-old daughter and all the time I'm just like, oh, and you know, she's six. So she's at that age where I'm like, you're going to remember this. This yeah. is be a thing that you remember and uh-huh. how much therapy do you need? You know, like, yeah. and it is, and it's like, you, you love them. You want them to excel. You want them to do everything, but it's like, but do you want to jump off the couch again? Like, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> I completely, yeah, completely, completely relate. Um, so you talked a little bit, uh, this was perfect. I was like, you're transitioning perfectly into my question. Um, Cause I want to talk about like, I have a craft question because I found the second person um, narration, very interesting. And like you said, mm-hmm. it was like very intimate. Like you feel like it was like reading a confessional almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not done a ton, but when it is done and in, when it's done well, which I, I fully think it was done very well in your book, you know, it, it can be really effective and it makes a really big difference in the way the story is told. Did you d- make that decision from the start or did it just come down the line? You had to like go back and change all of it. And then did you find it challenging or was it easy? Just tell me, tell me everything. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, it's so funny. Like I, I really, it was not like a conscious thing. Like it was not something that I had planned to do. And I think, um, you know, if I had put more thought into it at the time, 
I don't know if I would have done it. <laughs> like if I had a like okay. really, yeah, yeah. Like, but I, because I, because I probably would have been intimidated by the fact that, that it's not done a lot or that it wasn't going to work. Like, I, I don't know, but I, I think because I started writing it when my son, this book, when my son was six months old and I didn't, I mean, I really didn't have a lot of time to like plan or premeditate everything. Like it was literally a matter of like, okay, there are, I have a babysitter coming for two precious hours mm-hmm. and I'm going to take my laptop and I'm going to run down the street to the coffee shop and I'm just going to write. And it was like, I just wanted to get out the story on the page. And so the book started quite like haphazardly and sort of messy. And it, it, it was sort of just this big collection of scenes that weren't necessarily going anywhere at the time, you know, it, like the, the story and the structure kind of got layered after. And so when it came to kind of the voice or the perspective, it just sort of came out that way. And, and I didn't, I don't even think I really realized what I was doing mm-hmm. until I was sort of already too far into it. And then I was yeah. sort of like, okay, this is sticking. This is how I want to tell every scene, every chapter. Um, and so I just kind of rolled with it. But I do remember thinking, getting to a certain point and being like, okay, somebody is probably going to try to talk me out of this at some point. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I remember thinking, okay, someone's going to read it and be like, no, it's just not, it's not working to do first person. But they didn't, thankfully. And it kind of just kept working. Although it did it take, obviously it took a lot of revising. But mm-hmm. I think it's just like listening, like as a writer, just like listening to the voice that's coming to you, yeah. you know, at that time, like, it's just as simple as that in a way. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, working on a second book right now. And it's not that voice. It is, it's um, different. It's um, third person, but there are multiple perspectives. It's very like close third person, but it, it's just, it's very different. Like it's a very different, I can feel myself just writing different. Like it's, That's I don't cool. know. It's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how you just kind of get caught in a certain voice and you just, mm-hmm. it is what it is. Well, switching gears a little bit, getting away from the darkness that is motherhood uh, <laughs> as the one done of parenting. Let's talk about what you have been uh, reading, watching, and listening to. Do you have any fun recommendations? Oh, yeah. Um, okay, so what I've been reading. Um, so I've just finished um, Oh, so many good ones. Okay, so I, I finished a book that's coming out in September. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'll talk about it now, even though people won't be able yeah. to get it till then. But it's something to look forward to. So it's another Canadian writer. Her name is Zoe Whittle. She wrote um, The Best Kind of People. Mm-hmm. Um, which came out a couple of years ago. It was really big kind of here in Canada. Um, and so she wrote a new book called The Spectacular and it's coming out in the US as well um, in the fall. It is so good. It's, it also is about motherhood. I think I just think, I think this book is going to do really well. It's about, uh, it's like a literary, more literary fiction, but it's really about like the ambivalence of motherhood. It also spans three generations actually, although it's structured quite differently. And it's about a young girl who knows she does not want to be a mother. Like she is just absolutely certain of it. And um, she gets pregnant when she's young, she's in this band and she gets an abortion at the beginning of the book. And then you sort of follows through this. She sort of follows, we follow her as she kind of, comes to terms with that decision and gets a little older and thinks differently about motherhood. And then we sort of see the story of her mother who was very absent and then, and then her father's, um, her father's mother. So her grandmother on the other side, mm-hmm. it's really well done. It's like these three really distinct voices. Um, I think it's going to be great. And awesome. I think people should really look forward to it. Okay. And the other book, I know this is a motherhood themed show. So this book will also fit well, <laughs> but it's called, it's called the nine lives of Rose Napolitano by Donna Friedis. And it's out right now. It just came out in April. Um, we share a publisher and Pam Dorman at Viking at Penguin. Um, it is really good. I'm like almost done it right now. It's it's um, sort of like a sliding doors concept. Oh, if you remember that movie, yeah. yeah, where we sort of see one woman's nine different versions of one woman's life, um, depending on whether or not she decides to have a child. So it's sort of that same, in a way, it's kind of that same concept, but it's so interesting in a sense that like each one of the lives starts in the same way. And then there's something that happens that kind of sends it in a different direction. Um, But I think as a writer, what I'm so impressed with in this book, like speaking of kind of the craft of it, like how she structured it, it's so smart because you can kind of think that like, it might be a confusing book to read in a way, because it doesn't just go in like chronological order. It's like all the different lives are kind of 
interconnected and but first but somehow it is not confusing it is totally gripping like That's you awesome. know exactly which life you're on so it's really cool it's a really good book um so I think yes if anyone's looking for fiction about motherhood I say those are two yeah. like one to look forward <laughs> to and one you could read right now that are really great and I have oh my gosh I haven't watched anything in so long because I've been working on this second this book and I've, been, yep. and I've been trying to read more and I've been trying to so I, I feel like it's been a while since um I've been like you know, totally engrossed in a TV show. I feel like the last one I watched that I loved was The Undoing mm-hmm. um, with Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, um, which I really liked. I, I, I love, I'm sure you guys are the same, but like, I just, I love, I will like gobble up any um, book to screen that I can find. Oh, like yeah. what I, I just, I love it. It's so, <laughs> I love like reading a book and then watching same. it, uh, seeing the differences and paying attention to like how yeah. the screenwriting's different and the portrayals mm-hmm. of it all. Like, I just love it. So yeah, if I were to make a list of all the things that I've loved watching in the past year, it's been adaptation. Like that. Something that Gwen and I talk about every episode is what's bringing us joy or comfort. It can be mm. like what we've been watching or reading, but also we talk a lot about like products. <laughs> ah, <laughs> We're yeah. just like, you know, and especially with the weather changing, like we've been talking about going outside more. Um, so we were, we're curious, what have you, what has been bringing you joy lately? Oh, well, I think it ties back to what we were just talking about, which is like really good comfy clothes, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which we were talking about before we started recording, but like a really good tracksuit, like a really good comfy sweatshirt and sweatpants that you feel good in, that you don't feel mm-hmm. like sloppy in, that you feel, because what, like, I mean, we are, I was, as we were saying before we started recording, like I'm in Toronto, we're still in lockdown. We've yeah. got like a long road ahead. That is it for me. That is it. Like a really, <laughs> a really cozy outfit to just not feel it. horrible in all day yeah. at home. Like where have you, have you gotten, um, like what's your favorite maybe pandemic sweatsuit purchase that you've done so far? Oh, so there's <laughs> this, yeah, good question. So there's this um, brand in Toronto called mm-hmm. Province of Canada mm-hmm. and they make such good sweats. It's like the, you know, like the matching top and bottom, yeah. like, and they have great color and they're nice and fitted and they're nice and like thick and cozy and they wash mm-hmm. really well. Something that's really changed for me in terms of like, buying th- like buying habits in the pandemic is trying to do more local like trying to buy local and shop local and trying not to do so much of the big brand stuff is not always possible of course but yeah it feels good to like find a really great brand or retailer that you love that's like in your neighborhood or in your mm-hmm. city and so that's a that's an example of one that I've really enjoyed here that's fabulous yeah, yeah. Province, of Canada. Love province of Canada really good stuff yeah well, awesome. Well, Ashley, we are almost at the end. Before we say goodbye to you, um, can you let our readers know if you're what you gave us a little hint on the second book, but what are you working on? What can we look forward to? And also let us know where uh, readers can stay in touch with you. Yeah, sure. So yeah, as I said, I'm going through the revisions on my second book right now. Um, it does have a title. It's called The Whispers. Um, and it'll be out sometime in, I guess, next year, 2022, at some point. Um, and yeah, it's a it's, you know, it's still we'll see if it changes a little still, but it definitely um, touches on some of the same themes that the push does. It is very much a book about motherhood and marriage. It sort of takes a look at, you know, that time, I think, in a woman's life, like late 30s, early 40s, where it sort of feels like you've made all the decisions, like the possibilities of what your life can be are sort of behind you and not ahead of you. You know, you have the marriage you have, you have the family you have, you know, the career you have, the socioeconomic status you have, like everything feels kind of set by that point, you know, but what happens when it doesn't feel good enough anymore, or it doesn't make you happy anymore, you know, and how can some women make a change, you know, and do something about it? And how, how can some people just feel like that's the scariest thing that they could imagine for themselves, you know? And so that I, I think those are some of the themes or some of the things that I've been writing about. Um, yeah, so it's been a lot of fun. It's sort of been, you know, a lot of early mornings in the pandemic trying to wait, get a couple hours written before everyone wakes up and the day yeah. goes sideways, but we'll see. We'll see how the rest of it goes. Um, and so I'll share more about it or you can find more information on probably Instagram is sort of the best place, um, which is at Ashley Audrain. Ashley, this was wonderful. That was a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us um, and calling us in from Toronto. We really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the kind words about the book and for your interest in it. Yeah, thanks so much. And we're back, everybody. That was such a fun chat with Ashley. I'm so glad that she was able to join us today for that conversation. I know. And I'm going to say this. No one 
can see her obviously because this was a podcast interview, but (laughs) Gwen and I were like, yeah, there's no need, you know, it's not going to be on camera. It's fine. And she came looking like a model. Yeah. And we were obsessed with, that's why we talked about clothes so much. (laughs) We were obsessed with her sweatshirt. I just felt the need. It was a little leopard print, I think, or maybe giraffe. It was something. Yes. It was, it was gorgeous. (laughs) Um, Okay. So we thought this week, instead of going through goals and stuff, since this is a special episode, we would just chat about what we've been reading and watching and listening, all the things, all the things, all the media. Um, So yeah. So what have you been reading lately? So I just picked up the new Jenny Lawson um, memoir, Broken in All the po- the Best Possible Way. Um, oh I love her writing. I think she's so funny. She's from Austin. Um, her story in her first book, Let's Pretend Everything's Okay, I think is the name of that one. She has a story about Beyonce, this giant metal chicken that she bought because her husband wouldn't let her get towels um from Kohl's like wouldn't let her buy any more towels so she said fine I'll buy this giant chicken and like that was my first story and yeah. it's like a six foot or it's like yeah it's like a five foot chicken mm-hmm. that she had in the front of her house and it was one of those first like it was one of the first words I ever read of hers and I was just like this woman is my is just like my soul sister yeah and she talks a lot about depression and anxiety this book is all about um mental health mm. and uh and like she addresses it with such humor and such delicate touches but she also doesn't hold anything back which is another thing I think that is really really refreshing about her versus like a lot of the self-help um authors who kind of just like are more bullish or, or invasive with it. She she makes you feel like it's okay if you have some sort of mental health issue. She shows you a lot of ways to be empathetic towards other people. So this book's really fun. And if you listen to the audiobook, I thought this was cool. I don't have that book, but the audiobook does have an, a bonus chapter in it where mm-hmm. she was able to talk about the effects the pandemic has had on her family. Because um, oh. they weren't able to put that chapter into the book, obviously. They might put it in the second run, but it's available on the on the audiobook. That's really cool. I love messy self-help. Oh, I love messy self-help. I'm here for that because so much of it is just like, this is the way to do it. And you're going to be 900% better, you know, but I like when books are like, this may work for you. It may not, but it's important to at least think about things. Yes. And maybe this approach will help. I think that's really important. I love that. She, and she's hilarious. I love her so, funny. so much. And her book, the covers of her books are just so weird. The one with the raccoon. <laughs> so bizarre I just you see them and you chuckle Um, (laughs) so I have mostly been reading I mean I almost exclusively read fiction I rarely read nonfiction. um but I just finished like this morning I finished Wild Women in the Blues by Denny S. Bryce um she's gonna be a guest on the boozy book broads um by the time this goes up it'll have already happened but so you can watch the replay we'll link to it but this is a book that's set in 1920s chicago and it's about kind of just oh and and it's dual it's dual timeline so there is like a i think it's like in it's set the, the present day is really 2015 but it's about a woman looking back on her life after you know, she's, I think, almost 110 years old. And there's this documentary filmmaker who is trying to research more about this particular time in Chicago. Um, and, and kind of the, the black jazz circuit um, during that time and how that fit in with all of the mobsters and Capone and, and all of that stuff. And it was really, it was a really, really, really riveting book. I really enjoyed it. Also, I think has my favorite cover of the year. It's with this gorgeous green flapper dress. It's amazing. So definitely, yeah, it was really good. And then also I want to talk about the road to Rose Bend by Naima Simone. She is one of my favorite Harlequin authors, and this is a single title book, so it's a little bit longer, but it's still just as like sexy and emotional and funny. I think a lot of people like don't think of Naima as being super funny in her books, Mm -hmm. but she is. And it's, yeah, it's really good. It's a small town romance, which is usually not my thing, but in the hands of Naima Simone, I'm like here for it and I'm really enjoying it. My next book, Love and Color by Bolu Babalola. Um, I believe this is, this comes out, I think, tomorrow which is the 13th um but anyway it's it's a set of short stories bolu is 
kind of, she's like a bunch of different things. She's kind of an influencer. She's a great social media follow. She's a big romance advocate. She's been, she was on the podcast, like RIP Thirst Aid Kit, but she was on Thirst Aid Kit a ton um, and and was always had great things to say and would definitely talk about romance novels and, and things like that. But this, it's a set of short stories and they're all romantic and they're all with they they all are about um either african or black people which i think is really really great and that's hence the title love and color and then i also am reading neon gods by katie robert this one does not come out till i think june or july but it's very sexy just like every other katie robert book um it's a hades um persephone retelling which is really cool it's setting up i think i believe a new series and it's just it's really awesome so far i'm not finished with it but i really like it so much but i love everything she writes so that's so fun my husband has been playing um this video game called hades for mm-hmm. months recently months recently months like the whole year yeah and, uh, it's all about hades and persephone yeah. and so i'm like ah I'll have to read Hades the book next. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, I feel like Hades and Persephone are having a moment right now. And I think a lot of it has to do with the webcomic Lore Olympus. Like that is, I think, what's driving a lot of it. But I don't know, I think it's just such an intriguing idea. And, you know, especially when it's like, re- it's like the ultimate reforming the bad boy, you know? Yeah, like- I was gonna say, it's very, there's a lot of really good opportunity to, to attack that story in different ways and to put redemption in there. And yeah. Oh yeah, sure. definitely. Awesome. Okay. So what have you been watching? So lately? I have been a little all over the place today. And so my first my first pick from what I've been watching is actually tied also to what I have been listening to. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Peacock or not a Peacock on Paramount plus they have uh, the new, a new season or a, a reunion season mm-hmm. of the real world from New York from the first season. And they're yeah. it's called real world homecoming. And I guess they're going to be doing, if this is successful, I imagine they'll probably do other seasons that they, the other iconic seasons that they can mm-hmm. follow, but they bring all of the eight roommates back and they go back to the same Soho loft um, for two weeks, I think was the length of time that they were, that they filmed okay. and uh, to see where they are. And it's been really interesting. I watched the third episode. No, I'm watch, I watched the third episode this morning. Mm-hmm. And, um, and now by this time that this comes out, you guys will be able to listen to watch all of it. Uh, Cause it's, they've been doing it episode after or one episode a week. Okay, but cool. It's just really, um, it's interesting because that show, I watched it when it came out, not that, not in 1992, but I watched it in like maybe 96 when mm-hmm. MTV would start rerunning um, episodes of it over the summer. And I just remember like how impressive those conversations they were having on that show were to me and how mm-hmm. formative they were. And like, I, you know, I grew up in a, in a fairly diverse neighborhood and, and school, but it was still very heavily white mm-hmm. and very Christian. And so not having a lot of people of color in my life until I got older, like those were where I was seeing these conversations and they were having these really, really deep. So then to have them, these people 30, 25, 30 years later, Mm -hmm. sort of watching the videos, then talking about it again and seeing if any of them had changed has been very, very cool. Becky still sucks. So I'm happy to (laughs) see that is still going because she is awful. Yeah. And then the other thing I've been watching is the good uh, Good Girls is back on NBC. I love that mm-hmm. show so much. Um, I hope that this will be the last season. They've really set it up very well to end it if it ends this season. Their storylines are kind of hitting, but it's about three best friends who decide to rob a uh, Costco, no, a grocery store mm-hmm. because they're all running out of money for whatever reason. Yeah. So one, her husband has spent all the money that they're that they owned, their house going to foreclosure. The other one's a single mom, and the other one is. Um, they have a daughter that has to get like a medical treatment that's like $50,000 every month or they rob a grocery store. And of course that sets into motion all of these other things. I love a show where bad decisions are constantly rewarded with even worse decisions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's on NBC now, the fourth season, but you can catch the first three seasons on Netflix. Um, and then, yeah, I've just been kind of playing with my Peacock premium and seeing what else is on there. We did, we did a WrestleMania when that was on back in April, but mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just been playing with those guys. What about you? What have you been watching recently? Um, so I just finished the most recent season of Nailed It. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, it's just so funny. It's so good. Um, 
we and yeah we i think we watched it like in a night because they're all they're pretty short um and even you know my daughter you know it appeals to six-year-olds it appeals to 36-year-olds i'm pretty sure my 66 year old father would also love it because it's just so ridiculous. Um, and they're just, yeah, I think, and it's just, it's so funny. Um, I also on like kind of the opposite end of it, I've watched Nadia bakes, which you recommended, which I already loved Nadia from great British baking show, but, um, it's just very soothing. It's so nice to just like turn it on and just like scroll Mm. through Twitter. It's like great twitter scrolling show because it's just like i can look up and not hate what i'm looking at like i'm looking Mm -hmm. twitter it's a garbage fire look up oh look at that beautiful cake cake. (laughs) (laughs) um and then the new season of top chef started yes i mean it's the og food competition show in my book um i yeah and i think this season it's only been a couple of episodes so far i think it's really great probably just as stressful as looking at my Twitter timeline is the chilling adventures of Sabrina. I'm like a few months late on it because it's been out for a while. The show, the show is just so ridiculous. It's so bonkers. I don't even know. I don't even know if I understand what's going on. There's like, there's like double worshiping in it. And then there's like, yeah, it's, it's wild. I remember watching the first season. I was like, Oh, this is like actual, satanic people like oh yeah. great now i know what i'm in for <laughs> not melissa joan hart all right not melissa joan hart because they have similar showrunners i believe but i'm, yeah. I'm still and I've, I've already complained about riverdale but i'm still watching riverdale like i think it may be my new hate watch show like it's just it's not good but i can't <laughs> stop watching it i'm sure they're listening to this podcast and they're going to be very upset but they're like thanks for the shout out for riverdale it's just not ill i don't even know and then there's there's a time jump this season i don't want to like spoil it Didn't they age them like four years or something they aged they, them, years. They age them i think it's supposed to be like seven years and they keep making these very vague references to like what happened during these seven years so i was like oh well, now we're have to go through like all these flashback episodes but all of them still, I don't know if any of them are still the actual age they're supposed that they are in real life. Like they all look like grownups. Mm-hmm. They're all like 40 year old men. <laughs> Almost. It's like, it's like all played by Luke Perry. <laughs> Sometimes I'm watching it. I'm like, why? Why am I watching this? Because you like and the little high drama. I think that's what it is. It's so dramatic. It's so over the top. Yep. And I, you know, and I, I've said this, I've said this actually at the, uh, during the Fresh Fiction book club, like, I think the main reason I watch it is because everyone is obscenely beautiful. They're yeah. all great to look at. Yep. <laughs> Every person on that show is attractive. Even like the gross people, like the people you're not supposed, like the bad guys. I'm just like, yeah. you're, you're, you're yeah, kind of hot. Yeah. Like what's happening? Um, <laughs> yeah. hey, you know what? Sometimes that's all you need in a good show is some eye candy and mm. apps. Exactly. <laughs> And that's yep. what the CW provides us. That should be their new, like, their new tagline. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been listening to lately? A podcast called Spectacle. It's It's been out for a while. I think they just finished their first season. But it is a history of reality television. And it's hosted by Mariah Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, her sister, Lauren Ashley Smith, is the showrunner for a Black Lady sketch show. Mm-hmm. Um, and her voice is all, like, very, like, six degrees. Her wife... Brooke is one of my friends from college. Oh, so I've cool. been watching them for like years as they've been That's building. Amazing. So uh, I love reality television, as I've mentioned before in previous episodes, but uh, it's just really interesting. So it starts with An American Family, which was a PBS show that mm-hmm. premiered in, 19, in 1971. That yeah. was like the, the original first reality show. And she spends every single episode, the first season's 10 episodes, um, talking about a different show and what that show brought to the reality uh, landscape. And so the first one's American Family. The second one is Real World, which is why then I had to go back to watch the real world because they were talking to some people on there and I was like, oh no, I got to go watch it now and catch up and see some fill-ins. Um, and then like Survivor, they're going to have a great British Bake Off one. And they were talking about like soothing reality television. And it's really well produced. He actually has interviews. It sounds really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It really reminds me of You Must Remember This, which is a podcast about classic Hollywood cinema, sort of in that same vein, but it's really fun. And so you can, so it's called Spectacle and you can find it on all of the podcast apps. And then um, the other one, speaking of Sweetbriar, um, I just found out that my, or I just subscribed to my school's uh 
they have their own podcast as well, where they interview different mm-hmm. alums. And that one is called Sweet Stories in the Dell. And so that's just been kind of a little nostalgia hit. But I've also enjoy it because it's it was a women's college. They talk mm-hmm. about different types of women's issues in it and also where these notable alumna are you can find them and what they're doing now with their with their education. So I thought that was really cool. That's cool. Maybe they'll interview you one day. Maybe I know. That's why I'm like, if I talk about <laughs> it, yeah, I love that. That's awesome. I've been listening to, so there's this podcast called G Thanks Just Bought It. I just um, listened to this one. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's hosted by Caroline Moss. She's one of the co-authors of a book that came out a couple of years ago called Thanks Ladies. And it was about mostly about like kind of the ridiculous things you do as a bridesmaid and like Mm -hmm. kind of that scene, but it was, it was more than that, but that I believe it started like as an essay or something like that. And then it kind of morphed into that book. So yeah, so that is really fun, but basically she invites someone on And they mostly do a lot of chit chatting about stuff. Um, But then they, she has them recommend something that they've, they just bought that they really love. And so, I mean, it's, it's anything from like cheap overalls on Amazon to like, you know, a Dyson air wrap thing, your hair air wrap really runs the gamut, but they, and they also have really great newsletters. They have like kind of just a regular, I think, I believe monthly newsletter, but then they also have like a one that's devoted to skincare mm-hmm. that I'm really into. It feels like you're just listening to, you know, two old friends talking. It's, it's, it's really fun. And then I have a couple of new ish, at least new to me, romance podcasts. One is Dear Romance Writer, which is hosted by Zio Axelrod, Avery Flynn, and Roan Parrish. They ask people to write in and they give advice. Hmm. And it's been really fun. Yeah. And they're usually really short, um, which I like like around half an hour, 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah, Which is really great um, as we drone on and on and on. (laughs) Around Um, hour five. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, I really, I really like it. I also, I should just say like, I, I think I have actually promoted all of their books at like, or not promoted, but like featured them on the Fresh Fiction blog. But I just think that they're all really fabulous writers. And I think, and I think personally, they give, they give good advice. I like it so far. Um, And then the last one is called Boobies and Newbies. And I believe when this podcast started, it was like, she, the, um, the host would have someone who had never read romance before come on and they would read a romance book together. And so I think now it's not, that's not the exact criteria. I think she's still the one picking the book and then they talk about it. Well, guys, thank you so much for tuning in to our very special Mother's Day episode. I think what you guys should do for the rest of the day is if you can call your mom and tell her how much you love her. If you don't have a good relationship with your mom, think about a woman in your life that you do love and send her a little note. Nice call to action. Yeah. (laughs) 